Evening, everybody. Um, and let me add my uh, welcome to Tom's. Uh, it's good to have you with us tonight. It's nice to see um, one or two old friends, colleagues, and uh, family members. Um, my name's Daniel Barlow, uh, and I'm a member of the congregation here at St. John's. Uh, please do have your uh, Bibles open in front of you on page 974 in Matthew 9, the passage we've just read. Uh, it's always good to uh, check what the person at the front uh, is saying against what, what you read here. Um, and if you find any discrepancies, please do come and talk to me afterwards. Um, and you should also have a blue or lilac sheet. Um, and on the back of it, there's a brief overview of, uh, of where we're heading in the next, uh, in the next few moments. So uh, before I start, let me just say a short prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks and that you have spoken to us through your word. Help us to understand what you are saying to us tonight. Help me to speak clearly and faithfully for your glory. Amen. I wonder uh, what you would say were your uh, favourite topics of conversation. Uh, what, what you would talk about if you were at a dinner party or, say, uh, a barbecue for example. Uh, my lovely wife tells me that my favourite topics of conversation, in fact, uh, my only topics of conversation are cricket, church and pensions. Um, I, I am an interesting kind of guy. Um, actually, uh, my wife is not quite right. She's left one off the list. Uh, I'm also interested in death. Um, as someone who works in the pensions industry, uh, death, perhaps uh, more accurately termed mortality, is a very uh, crucial issue. Uh, the longer people live, uh, the longer we have to pay their pensions, and the bigger our funding deficits become, and the harder my job is. Uh, so death is actually a pension professional's friend. Uh, the, more death, the more death, the better. Uh, I welcome death um, in a professional sense, uh, at least. Um, but of course, like everybody else here tonight, I would not count myself a fan of death uh, in a personal sense. Uh, far from it. Uh, Woody, Woody Allen famously once said, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Quite. Uh, death is the inescapable, unspeakable fact of life. I really don't want to be there when it happens. So we're currently, as Tom said, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've seen Jesus dem demonstrating his, his incredible power, authority, and compassion in various ways. We've seen his authority to heal leprosy and disease, his authority over nature, he calmed a storm, his authority over evil spirits, he drove out demons, his authority to forgive sins. And, and in this week's passage, we've got a collection of four further miracles, four more examples of his authority, climaxing with something we haven't seen before some, in Matthew, something quite stunning. Uh, Jesus has authority over man's ultimate enemy, death itself. I wonder how you react when you hear accounts of supernatural events or, or miracles as we often call them. 
If you're a Christian here today, uh, you believe in God, you believe in a supernatural creator, and so it may not be difficult for you to believe this evidence that we, we see in this book. Perhaps you've become almost too familiar with it, blasé even. Um, if that's you, please do listen in and wonder anew at uh, Jesus' power and authority. Or perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here tonight. Um, perhaps, like me, when I first came to St. John's in 2005, uh, at the age of 36, uh, you can do the maths. Um, it's a round number. <laughs> it's quite a big one, too. Um, Perhaps like me, 14 years ago, uh, you're an atheist or an agnostic and accounts of uh, supernatural events are deeply problematic and challenging. Um, things that just don't happen, can't happen. Uh, maybe you just see them as, as fanciful, as, as fairy tales. Uh, I remember uh, being confronted with the account of Jesus calming the storm in Matthew 8, um, in the previous chapter, shortly after I came to St. John's in 2005, and I simply couldn't accept that anyone could calm a storm, control the weather. Really? And yet, just a few weeks later, I believed it to be true and put my faith in Jesus. So, if that's you here tonight, please don't switch off or give up now. Um, please do engage with the historical eyewitness evidence that we have here in front of us. And if you seek God with all your heart, if you really desire to know him... He has promised that you will find him. He'll reveal himself to you too. That's uh, Jeremiah 29, where you'll find that promise. So um, my first point, or our first point tonight, is uh, Jesus has authority over death. So, uh, turning to the passage, uh, we have the, the famous episode of Jesus raising the synagogue ruler's daughter from death to life. But sandwiched in the middle of this uh, account, Jesus encounters even more suffering and desperation in the form of a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Uh, this woman must have been in a terrible condition, uh, not just weak and anemic from 12 years of bleeding. She would have been uh, regarded as ceremonially unclean because of her bleeding. Uh, she would have been a social pariah, effectively, unable to mix with people for fear of making them unclean and untouchable in every sense of the word. Now, because of her condition, the, the woman would not have been able to approach Jesus openly, so she tries to cre creep up on him in secret and touch his cloak. There's something almost superstitious about it, magical, isn't there? Verse 21, if you just look down. If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed, she said to herself. But Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And she was healed instantly. Now, Jesus shows his authority over disease and illness, as well as his deep compassion for this desperate woman who needed him and trusted Jesus to meet her need. You could be forgiven for thinking that healing people, curing them of their physical sickness, disease and disability was what Jesus was all about, his main mission, if you like. Uh, but that would be a mistake. That is not the case. And we get a hint of this later in the passage, uh, when Jesus, having restored the sight of the blind men, warns them sternly not to tell anybody about it. This is verse 30. 
And this is not the first time we've seen Jesus uh, telling people to keep quiet about his miracles and his healings. And it seems a sort of odd thing for him to say. You'd expect Jesus to want as many people as possible to know. Um, Certainly most people uh, who do great things these days like to advertise them on social media, uh, don't they? Um, Facebook or Instagram perhaps, or Snapchat for example. Um, So why does Jesus want people to keep these things quiet? So we previously read in Matthew uh, that Jesus' main mission is not to heal physical physical sickness, uh, but to deal with the problem of our sin and the consequences of our sin, the wages or punishment for our sin, which is death. And this was why when confronted with the paralytic earlier in Matthew, the paralytic man, Jesus says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. That's Matthew 9, 2, verse 2. The paralytic's physical needs were great, clearly very great, but not as great as his need to be forgiven his sins. So putting it another way, uh, Jesus' main mission is to be a sin doctor rather than a physical doctor. And he didn't want his physical healings and other miracles to obscure this and to distract people from his main mission. Uh, John 3, verse 16, some say the most, well, the most famous, the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But Jesus came so that sinners like you, like you, <laughs> and like me, can be forgiven our sins, and reconciled to God, and have eternal life, beyond their physical death. Uh, By the way, if you think you're a good person who doesn't need a sin doctor, if you think, you know, I've done lots of good stuff, um, not so much bad stuff, um, when weighing it all up, I think probably the good is is more than the bad, uh, please come and talk to to Tom or me afterwards. Um, The Bible teaches us that no one is righteous, not even one. And so it's, uh, it's, it's likely that you, have a, uh, you don't have a, a biblical definition of sin. And please, if that's you, please do come and speak to us afterwards. Um, we know from uh, the equivalent accounts in Mark and Luke that the synagogue ruler's name was Jairus. Um, we also know that he was so desperate, his daughter having died, he was so desperate, he was pleading with Jesus on his knees a synagogue ruler on his knees, humbling himself before Jesus, this itinerant preacher. It must have been quite a sight. It's interesting also, isn't it, to note the diversity of people Jesus was helping. Uh, he's just helped this bleeding woman, this social pariah, and now he helps someone at the other end of the social scale, this synagogue ruler. Um, diversity and inclusion is a big deal in my workplace, um, Probably yours too. We have uh, diversity and inclusion champions, and we even have a director of diversity and inclusion. Job titles are wonderful things, aren't they? Um, Many people think of the church as lacking diversity, as being uh, exclusive. Um, But what we see here is evidence that Jesus was the most radically diverse and socially inclusive person imaginable. Jesus came for everybody and anybody who sees their need and puts their faith in him. Sees their need for him and puts their faith in him. When 
Jesus arrives at Jairus' house. The morning has already started. Verse 23. There's a noisy crowd and and the flute players have gathered. Uh, They were probably professional mourners. Uh, They were a common feature at uh, funerals, um, these funerals in, in in this time. But Jesus tells the crowd, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. The girl is not dead, but asleep. Rather an odd thing to say, given the funeral has already started. What on earth does Jesus mean? So the crowd take him literally. Look at this guy, he's a complete fool. Away with the fairies. They knew the girl was dead, so they just laugh at him. And it's interesting, isn't it, how often we see uh, that sort of reaction to, to Jesus in our day and age, misunderstanding and laughter. Uh, people often misunderstand Jesus, who, who he was and what he came to do, and they ridicule him, don't they? I wonder if that's something that you've, you've seen before. But Jesus had something else in mind. He knew the girl was dead. He wasn't questioning the fact of her death, but its finality. What Jesus is really saying is death is not the end. I have authority over death. I can raise this girl to life. Verse 25, if you look down. After the crowd had been put outside, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. Matthew's uh, style of writing is so minimalist and matter-of-fact, isn't it? But you can imagine how utterly stunning that must have been. News of this spread through all that region. I bet it did. Jesus demonstrates he has authority, not, not just over disease and disability, but also over man's ultimate enemy, death itself. And this, this miracle, this, this demonstration of Jesus' authority brings to mind, doesn't it? It points us towards Jesus' own death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead three days later. And that's something that we see recorded in Matthew in subsequent chapters. So take heart, friends. Death is coming for all of us sooner or later. The inescapable and unspeakable fact of life. But death is not the end. Jesus has defeated it. This brings me to our second point. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the son of David, the one whom the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about. So Matthew goes on to give two further examples of Jesus' authority in this passage. Uh, His authority over disability and demons. The blind men are given sight and the mute man speaks. The blind men address Jesus as the son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David, they call out to him. Now, son of David was an Old Testament title for the Messiah, God's promised king, who was prophesied prophesied to come from the bloodline of King David. It's why Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy, uh, Matthew 1 verse 1, no need to, to go there. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew then goes on to show how Jesus was descended through the generations from David. Amazingly, despite their lack of sight, the blind men identified Jesus as the son of David. God's promised king has come. Could they be right? 
Later in his uh, gospel account, Matthew records an exchange between Jesus and John the Baptist. If you flick forward a page to 976, and it's uh, chapter 11 on the left-hand side, about two-thirds of the way down. Let me just read that for us. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, that's John the Baptist, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, The dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. But Jesus is listing these actions, not just because they're a demonstration of his authority and his compassion, but because they show how he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. He's effectively mapping himself onto the Old Testament, uh, pointing to his true identity as the Messiah. Let me just read uh, those verses again, uh, which Liz uh, read for us from Isaiah 35. Uh, Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet who wrote these words about 700 years before Christ um, came to earth. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. In Isaiah 26, we read, But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing in these chapters in Matthew Matthew wants his readers to see that Jesus has just not come out of nowhere. He's God's promised king, the son of David, the one who was to come. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. And here we have the eyewitness evidence for it. So we've seen that Jesus has authority over death, and we've seen that he was the prophesied Messiah. And uh, we come now to our third point, which is put your faith in Jesus. So as well as um, diversity in the people whom Jesus helped, we see huge diversity, a whole range of responses, don't we, in the way that people um, react and, and respond to Jesus. Lots of different responses, and we've seen that throughout Matthew, haven't we? I mean, even in this passage, um, we can see ridicule, So remember how the crowd at Jairus' house misunderstood Jesus and laughed at him. Amazement from the crowd who saw the mute man speak, that's verse 33. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And then denial, verse 34. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. For the Pharisees cannot deny Jesus' authority. They've seen it with their their own eyes. So they adopt a different tack. And they claim that his authority is from the devil and not from God. 
And we also see the different responses of faith from, the, from Jairus, uh, the bleeding woman, and the blind man. Their faith was far from perfect. Um, Jairus and the bleeding woman were desperate. And the bleeding woman's faith seemed more like sort of superstition or some sort of magical thing, didn't it? The blind men called Jesus Messiah and asked for mercy, which is exactly the right thing to ask Jesus for, mercy. But then they immediately go out and disobey Jesus' command not to tell anybody. So their faith was far from perfect, but they trusted in Jesus and he was perfect. And the key thing is not the amount or the quality of our faith, but it's our object, Jesus the Messiah. They all saw their need for Jesus and put their faith in him, however falteringly and imperfectly. So what about us? What will we do with this evidence? Will we see our need for Jesus and put our faith in him? But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Turn to Christ. He has authority over death. He is God's promised Messiah. Only he can save us from our sins and deliver us through death to eternal life. Trust him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we we praise you that you are uh, Lord of all. We praise you that you are a God who speaks, that you have not left us guessing. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you that he is your promised Messiah, that he has authority over death, that he can save us from our sins and deliver us through death to eternal life. Help us, Lord, to trust him and to follow him day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.